Hi everyone and welcome to the News Agent podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Senior Content Executive at Goodlord and this episode is a recording of our Q&A on the topic of the Renters Reform Bill. Now that the Queen's speech has put it back on the agenda, the industry has a lot of questions and Sean Hooker, Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme and Goodlord's Ollie Sherlock joined this session to try to answer at least some of them. As well as answering audience questions, they talked through what's been proposed so far, uh, potential timelines or when we may see the Renters Reform Bill white paper with more details, as well as predictions for when the proposals themselves may come into play. So without any further ado, on with the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this installment of Good Lords webinar series. Um, today, we're joined by Sean Hooker, uh, Head of Redress at the Property uh, Redress Scheme. Um, and we're going to be discussing the Renters Reform Bill, um, which has come back to front and centre uh, following the Queen's speech. Um, the Q&A is on throughout the session. Um, so please do post your questions um, and we'll cover those as we go along. And if we if we can't, can't sort of weave them into the conversation, we'll be uh, d- dealing with them all at the final um, stage of today's webinar. Um, for those of you joining us today um, who haven't heard of Good Lord, um, Good Lord are our pre-tenancy process that help streamline um, the entire pre-tenancy flow um, and indeed deliver revenue benefits throughout that journey as well, um, allowing you to spend time focusing on growing your business um, in, in the way that you want to, rather than being held up by administration or processes. Um, to understand more about what we do, please visit our website at goodlord.co. Um, that hopefully is as much of a good law pitch as you're going to get today. For those who join us regularly, um, it's not really about good law, these sessions. It's about trying to get guests on um, who can give us some insights to what's happening in a market that is ever-changing. Um, and indeed, a world that's ever-changing, which you know has direct implications on to, to us as uh, businesses and, and, and letting agents within the sector. Um, so without further ado, let's bring on um, Sean. Good morning, Sean. How are you? Good morning, Ollie, and good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. Indeed, it's a busy one, Sean. Um, it's clear that the Winters Reform Bill um, is a hot topic and, 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 and clearly should be as well. Um, for those who um, are maybe not as au fait with, with Mr. Sean Hooker, albeit that um, if you're on LinkedIn, you, you, there's no doubt you are because your activity on there is, is, is unbelievable. Um, can you just give them a, a quick sort of summary of, of, of who you are, Sean, and what you do? Yes, certainly, Ollie. Yes, uh, my name is Sean Hooker. I am Head of Redress at the Property Redress Scheme, which is one of the two government authorised redress schemes that all property agents uh, should be members of. Uh, I I joined uh, an organisation called Hamilton Fraser uh, 15 years ago. I was involved in tenancy deposits for a good number of years before moving on to this redress uh, for for agents. Ongoing, we are um, uh, we've launched some mediation service through our uh, property redress scheme service, and we are trialing a landlord redress scheme, which we'll find out a little bit more about later, uh, as a pilot with the National uh, Residential Landlords Association. Fantastic. Well, it's very good to have you here today, Sean. We, we've we've spoken at length about many different topics over the last sort of three or four years. Um, and these sessions always seem to to, 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 to get agents sort of um, interacting and questions coming in. To that point, we've already had four questions. So, um, and, and you'll, you'll be pleased to know they're not, they're not just about you, Sean. Um, so um, I, there's two questions of, of the same ilk here. One from Andrew, good morning, Andrew. And another one of somebody who didn't leave their name regarding a legal cover policy. Um, will Goodall be creating one? Um, indeed we have. Um, and and if you want to reach out to us for more information on that, then please do. Um, we can talk you through what that looks like, how it's going to work, how, how it does work, um, and indeed the benefits are to that level of service. Um, but please do reach out to us uh, following this webinar, and we can we can go through those steps. Two questions there, the same ilk. Um, clearly aligned thinking um but back to uh today's um uh, today's sort of talking point uh, around the renters reform bill we're going to talk through the latest updates um a couple of weeks ago the uh the queen's speech uh took place with prince charles stepping in instead of the queen um and the renters reform bill was put back in the front and center view um albeit only a few lines those few lines were quite meaningful in terms of acknowledging that this this thing was rolling forward and We've kind of been here before, haven't we, Sean, in terms of thinking it's it's just on the edge, just about to drop. And of course, other things have taken uh, priority, 
notably the pandemic, which is is arguably fair. Um, so we're going to talk through the latest updates. Um, we're going to try and give you approximate timelines on what we're hearing. Um, we've got um, Sean, who, from PRS perspective, is, um, is is hopefully hearing some rumblings um, uh, that he can share with us. Um, I myself am a member of the Electronics Industry Council. I think Sean and some of your colleagues are too. Um, and the paper that we've created through the Electronics Industry Council comes out this week or next, I think, in regards to Renters Reform Bill. Um, so we'll try and share some some approximate timelines and sort of where we are in the process. And as I said earlier, the live Q&A is on throughout uh, today's session. So if you've got a fitting question, chuck it on there. If you've got any question, chuck it on there. Even if it is about Sean's experience uh, or what he likes to do at the weekends, I will answer it. Um, so let's get into it. Let's look at the latest updates then um, in regards to the, uh, the Rents Reform Bill. Sean, uh, as I said, the Queen's speech brought this back into focus. What does it tell us? Uh, where, where are we up to at the moment? Well, first of all, uh, yes, well done to the government for actually putting it into the Queen's speech because there, there was talk that they were not going to include it specifically as part of the announcement. Um, and when I mean the announcement, uh, Prince Charles re- read out the 20-minute uh, the uh, uh, summary, which contained one line, and then there's a briefing paper in the back. Um and the logic was uh, was that uh, they'd already announced that they were committed to do it. Why did they need to to reassert it? Uh, I'm glad they did because uh, it, uh, we've learned a little bit if you read in between the lines. I particularly like the fact that they have said uh, it's, uh, as part of their preamble on that they want to ensure a more effective legal framework and a stable rental market for landlords to invest in. And that's. Uh, uh, Maybe a slight change of tone from what people have been thinking the government has actually been saying, which is basically about tenant focus and, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, tackling under rogues, et cetera, et cetera. This appears to be that they're looking for a longer term solution that is going to encompass uh, the whole of the sector and engage in it. Words are cheap, though. Yeah, and, and I think that's a really important point. It's a point I actually made with our mutual friend Paul Champlina a week or two ago. And, and and the view that I hold is that we've been kind of distracted by the uh, Section 21 part of this and um, potentially are, are, are not looking at the, the holistic uh, piece of work they're looking to deliver. And the reason I mention it is because I think we, and I said this on the last webinar, I think we've got to hold them accountable here because the words are important, actions are more important. But actually, when you look at the detail, what has been suggested from the very start, actually, is providing landlords with more powers if the tenant is not adhering to that that contract. Um, and actually, the latest uh, piece of, uh, of wording that you've just gone through there in terms of investment feels like a bit of a change in tone. And maybe the government are recognising that the pressure on landlords is such that actually it needs some external help here. We can't just continue to sort of bash them with, you know, heavy legislation um, and and ultimately put them in a position whereby being a landlord isn't workable anymore. So do you expect now, because of that that slight tonal change, to see and and see and and, and be delivered a a, a more holistic uh, bill that actually offers benefits to both tenants and landlords? Or is your suspicion that maybe it's a bit smoke and mirrors. We might just end up back focusing on Section 21. Well, look, the political pressure to abolish Section 21, uh, you know, is, is is ramping up. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but the reality is that you've got to have something that works. We know that there are 4.4 million uh, households in, uh, in 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 the country that rely on uh, on rental, uh, the private rented sector. We know the government, is, again, you know, Due to other factors, possibly, but they have, they've woefully underdelivered on their house building program. So we have a housing shortage. We have a, ha- a standard of living uh, crisis. Uh, we have energy uh, uh, issues um, and price rises on that. So the government is under an awful lot of pressure. It needs to deliver. It will be going to an election uh, eventually, probably 2024. It has to have an agenda that's going to mean that uh, that they can keep that tenant vote, but but they are not undermining the uh, the vital uh, work that the the private rental sector does in providing a housing solution in the country. So yes, let's hope it is a change of time. So in terms of the the focuses then, um, we're, we're going to come on to approximate timelines and discuss the different different elements of this. Um, 
but what what do you think we'll end up with at the end of this process on, on the basis of all the information that you know now? Um, because at the start of this, there were numerous almost manifesto points that were looking to be um, achieved. And we're going to talk through shortly of, of some of the ones that actually have maybe dropped off. But what's your expectation on what we know now um, in terms of this bill, be, you know, what, what this bill is going to deliver? Well, I think what it's going to deliver, it, it will get rid of Section 21 uh, in, in name and in substance, I would say, um, uh, Ollie. The, the reality is that we know uh, that the Section 21 um, uh, processes have changed dramatically uh, since they were introduced uh, over 20 years ago now. Uh, they They have... But from the get-go, they were always slightly flawed in the sense that it was a no-fault eviction, but people used it when they wanted to get a quicker result than, mm. than pointing a finger. And I think one of the things that's going to be uh, the challenge is how do you change that to a new system of giving a reason, or be that reason uh, will include things like house moving or moving back into the property and uh, um, uh education and student type lets how do you have that without it actually uh becoming cumbersome and uh um, a burden on the uh on the court system and on uh the time and uh, uh time of both tenants and landlords so that's the first challenge of that uh they definitely are looking at a register they definitely are looking at a register they don't want to call it a register this is a typical kind of thing of politicians they don't want to call things what they are uh but basically it's effectively going to be a register but it's going to be based on on decent home standards. These are the standards that have been in place since about 2006, I believe. They're trying to apply, well, they've applied to the uh, to the uh, social uh, sector, but uh, they want to apply it uh, and review it uh, so that it applies more appropriately to the pro- uh, private rented sector. So that's another big part of it. And redress, alternative dispute resolution, whatever you want to call it, they want to uh, earlier intervention they want things to be sorted out without going to the uh, to the expense of court or ultimately to enforcement because those things cost an awful lot of money uh, alternative dispute resolution can uh, effectively uh, deliver a cost effective and uh, um, uh, way of dealing with things a much cheaper much uh, quicker mm. than, than the court process or, or going through enforcement and, and just two questions. Actually, one to cover first. Nicola was asked uh, if if this is recorded this session uh, and can be viewed um, again. Yes, it is, Nicola. Um, and uh, we have the, uh, I think, mutual friend, Mr. Eric Walker. Good morning, Eric. Um, asking a pertinent question as to the point you've just made there, um, Sean. Um, why is a new landlord uh, abundsman being mooted when there are two perfectly capable redress schemes already? Um, we, 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 we run the risk of, of maybe overstepping here in the next slide. But I think given the fact you just mentioned the, uh, I mean, that's how this works, right? I don't think we've done one of these. We've actually followed the slides. So we're directed by the viewers here, uh, mostly. Um, so, um, yeah, fair question from Eric. There's a framework there that, you know, ultimately, you know, arguably works at the moment. Why is this new phase uh, of process being, being, being sort of mooted? Well, I, I think, you know, it is... Eric, brilliant, uh, insightful question as usual. The, the reality is that the, the government has been influenced by a lot of work done by the academic uh, ADR world in terms of research and other things that they believe that the consumer is confused if they have to make a choice over um, alternative dispute resolution. So this is what I call the the one uh, the one ring to rule them all kind of philosophy on mm. ombudsman, which is there should be a single ombudsman that represents a, a single sector. Uh, there's a, some compelling reasons why that is a good approach, but there are a lot of reasons why it's not. And Eric has put his finger on it. Why throw out the baby with the bathwater? Why break something when it works? And that's why I think they've used the word portal and I think they've used the word gateway in the, in the language that they're using. They want a single entry point. They want a single focus. That doesn't necessarily mean what goes on behind the scenes means that there's going to be a single overarching or new a body that's going to need mm. to be set up. Remember, government doesn't like running things. It costs them money. So they yeah. tend to go out and they tender it. And uh, 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 and we know that if you tender something out and you give it to a single supplier, there are 
drawbacks for uh, for that uh, inefficiencies and other things that uh, a single point of failure I call it so I, I'm working with them just to uh, to to see if we can get the best of both worlds on that I think it's important that we have and build on what we've got but we we do improve it and the access to it is improved so good question Eric and um, in terms of the, uh, we've got a question um, asking a register of what? Can you just clarify for, for, for viewers who maybe not not as um, au fait with, with with what the potential changes here? What the suggestion is around the the register process? Well, it's, well, it's evolved because the government the government uh, uh, spent some money and uh, got some consultants in. Uh, that they always uh, and and I, although I haven't actually seen the uh, the actual conclusions of what they they concluded when I've been speaking to government. They, the, the emphasis has changed slightly from registering the individual or the uh, the person, uh, namely the landlord, to looking at it being driven by property, by the property and the property condition. Now, there's a lot of advantages of that. Properties don't move. They they stay where they are. Uh, they are what they are. Uh, so it doesn't matter if you change ownership or management of it. The property is still going to be there. And if you focus on uh, a condition, and this is why they're they're pushing this these decent home standards uh you can actually have uh, the register will be on 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 the property and and it will stay on there regardless of whether the landlord is renting out or not uh so that's uh, the, i think the emphasis of what they're doing there uh you know, the wording they kind of like using is to is to allow the tenants to challenge a landlord over the condition of that property so the mm. register will be more than just a list okay um and in terms of the the redress schemes um running behind the and what we think is going to be a um a sort of single point of control that then layers into these different firms is this viewed as a profitable process david asks or is it a non-for-profit process um and he asks if so if it is profitable um you know what what, what happens with the profits there as a result of these processes well, that's a very good question. And the reality is that uh, whatever scheme I think will be run, it will be free. To, uh, the ADR part of it will be free to use. Of course, uh, nothing comes for nothing. And it's quite a skilled uh, uh, job to uh, to mediate or to uh, arbitrate on, on these issues. Uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of money on getting skilled and uh, talented people in that know what, what they're doing. We don't want this to be a tick box exercise. We don't want this to be uh, um, a, a, a meaningless uh, a way of dealing with what are very, very important issues. So, yes, it's going to catch, there is going to be a cost. Now, whether that cost comes through a registration fee or whether it comes through uh, um, uh, uh, paying for the uh, industry pays for the, ind- uh, for the individual complaints to be handled. All I can say is that we are looking at a very big sector. We are looking at two and a half million uh, landlords out there, mm. uh, adding to the, uh, the the thirty or forty thousand agents that are already out in the in the market. Uh, spreading the costs over uh, uh, that sort of numbers, you can you, you can push the uh, the cost right down because most people will not have complaints that will need to be referred up. They are they are relatively rare. You know, around about five yeah. percent of a uh, uh, of uh, you know of our members actually have complaints on a uh, on, on a well, not even on a regular basis. Uh, it's two, two or three a year would be would be exceptional to become a, uh, to come in front of my desk from any particular mm. agent. Again, it all depends on the size of the agent. If you spread those costs over, you can deliver a cost-effective uh, uh, system. Now, if you think of that and compare what the cost of courts are, then we are talking a, a completely different league here. Um, but of course, there will be a surplus. Uh, you know, schemes will need a surplus. You're going to run it for not-for-profit, but but if you're going to uh, uh, to run it uh, uh, effectively. If the surplus is in there, it will be reinvested back into to delivering better services. Yeah. And, and there's two questions here, one from um, Chris, one from somebody who hasn't left the name, both of a similar sort of um, tone in terms of, you know, how do we convince new landlords to, to let their property and not sell? They feel shafted, says Chris. Um, uh, another question from somebody who's not left the name. Um, uh, landlords are very concerned that we won't be able to get tenants out in the future. We don't have anything to give them comfort. So there is likely to be even less property to rent. And I think on these points, um, you know, I think it's important to remember what the bill is representing at the moment. The bill is not representing at the moment 
we're going to make it more difficult for you to get your property back when you need to. That isn't what they're saying. Now, it might be what we, <laughs> how we feel it could go, but that isn't what they're saying. And actually, I think the latest tonal change does support a more holistic view between landlords and tenants, it's fair to say, Sean. But I, I understand this. I understand this concern because landlords have been through, you know, a really tough time. Um, and arguably, from the from, from a government's perspective, during the pandemic, landlords were left to to, to carry the can, really, um, in a lot of respect. You know, you've got to work with your tenants. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And actually, they did. And, you know, it, the, the kind of sentiment towards landlords seems to to not being improving. And if you're a landlord set there at a the moment, with rising costs yourself. Remember, most landlords aren't, you know, billionaires driving around in Bentleys. They're single or, 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 or two property owners um, looking to, to just make a return and their, their small investment. I, it's understandable that they feel, you know, shafted is the word Chris has used, but they feel pressure. Um what, what should letting agents be doing at this stage to to, to, to to sort of give some comfort? And is it worth pointing out that actually the reform bill itself does note about giving landlords more powers where, and quicker and more effective powers where there's a, a breach like arrears, for example? Well, well, absolutely. And what people don't realise, and uh, again, you know, I, I speak to Paul on a regular basis, Paul Champolina, uh, and, you know, he points out and say, well, actually, it, it's always been, Framed as that, you know, there's the landlord and the tenant, and the tenant is the victim, and the landlord is the uh, the perpetrator. It's not no way. Uh, uh, that's no way a reflection of the tr- of the truth. Uh, most landlords are small uh, uh, operators. They only own mm. a couple of properties. Their margins are tight. They're doing it for uh, reasons of pensions uh, uh, and, and a bit of extra income. So they're, so they're not kind of like you know the big uh, uh, you know corporations. That uh, uh, you, you can sometimes imagine uh, um, uh, the, the government kind of sees the, the, the sector. The reality is, the reality is that also that a bad tenant can also affect good tenants. The number of properties that are in HMO, for example, the number of stories that we see on a regular basis of uh, one bad apple in a in an HMO upsetting uh you know uh, uh their fellow uh, uh housemates uh and causing absolute distress and inconvenience those people should not be protected and kept in the property because mm. it's the tenants that are actually suffering as well as the landlord so that so it's you know it's a complex picture and we need to put that into perspective and 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 that actually points towards um rachel's question good morning rachel um what about a bad tenant register now this has been banded about for some time, um, and it, I think feels like one that one isn't on the agenda, um, but two, relatively hard to manage and control. Right. Okay. So here, here's where you have to start to to look cleverly. Actually, in effect, uh, uh, getting rid of a no fault uh, system and introducing a fault system could mean that uh, effectively you could look at getting some form of at least credit reference uh, um, register up against tenants. The number of people that use Section 21 as a convenient way to get the property back when they're in arrears, they've mm-hmm. looked at their tenant, the tenant hasn't got any money, so why go through a whole hassle of going to court and getting a money order and everything else there? Go to Section 21, get vacant possession, get the tenant out, and it's somebody else's problem. Move on. Yeah. yeah. Move on. Yeah. Now, effectively, now you've got a fault-based uh, system or a reason-based system. Let's call it a reason, not a fault. Uh, then you will be putting down rent arrears. And there's two implications on that, okay? Very quickly, if you do that, then uh, uh, you should get, then get a money order because that would uh, uh, that's will at least put that tenant onto a, uh, onto a, a bad footing on the credit yeah. refer- referencing uh, and make it difficult for them in, uh, to to move on. It also helps your fellow landlord, of course, know that the uh, the tenant uh, uh, you know is not a good. Uh, tenant, mm. uh, you, you know, I, I know a lot of landlords that are reluctant to kind of give bad referencing uh, to tenants. Maybe they feel intimidated by the tenant, but if it's on the register, you know, uh, uh, or a credit register, then 
it's not easy for the tenant to escape that. And, and this is another big point as well that, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be very interested to see how they address it. At the moment, if you present yourself to the local authority after being uh, served a Section 21 eviction notice, you are homeless and they have a legal right to try and house you. If you make yourself intentionally homeless, they have no legal obligation to do that. Yeah. So effectively, if you have got, a, a, you know, you're evicted because you're you've been antisocial or you've uh, not paid your rent, what obligation does the local authority have to house you? But th- this feels like a, a miss. For, we're going to come on to the third point shortly around shelter and friends. I mean, <laughs> you know, you're applying pressure on, 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 on one part, but actually, it then um, uh, essentially um scuppers the people you're, you're essentially trying to help in, in, in another stage of the process so it has to be thought through and any challenge to this process uh, or change to this process has to be thought through and i take your point on the uh section 21 versus say section 8 and then money order but the reality is unless the legal process is expedited and streamlined you know there's still problems there. The, the, the amount of time and I appreciate we're coming to the back of a pandemic. I, you know, I get that. But even pre-pandemic, you know, you're looking at four or five months. Um, the amount of time it takes to um, get somebody out of a property when there's clear cause to do so. You know, um, I, I feel that has to be evaluated as part of this. And, ho- and what I'm hoping is the powers that are given to landlords as part of the rental reform bill, where they, you know, they've noted that if in a, a situations like arrears, for example, they, you, know, you can get your property back quicker. I really hope they deliver that both in, in wording but also in process because if they don't, I struggle to see how the court's going to keep up. Um, you know, we've not seen mass change in the courts for some time. Well, that's that's wherein the joined up thinking needs to come in, and mm. uh, you know the work that we've been doing for the uh, the Letting Industry Council with that paper. I'm I'm really looking forward to to uh, to, to seeing the the. the the whole of that because I, I worked on the redress part of it in the register and you've worked on other bits and i know previews are going out there uh, at the moment so i'm looking forward to, to looking at that in detail because it's it, it will probably be uh um uh, knowing that the, the people on the letting the district council a holistic view whereas this seems a little bit disjointed and the, the joined up thinking is that uh when it comes to things like arrears and possessions or uh um arrears or any even repair issues the earlier you you intervene in these things the better so the redress schemes will be a vital link to this and but it needs to start a lot earlier than the process uh, uh, is at the moment so one of the things i really want to see is that there is a a lot of directive to landlords early uh, early days to actually engage with their tenants and to engage with uh, with redress because if you get mediation or redress involved at that earlier stage when the arrears are not so severe, when the problem, uh, the problems are less uh, uh, protracted, then there is a higher, much higher uh, uh, prospect of getting a satisfactory result. So mm-hmm. that needs to be hardwired into the process. And I, I'm getting, you know, from what I've been talking in the background, I'm getting the feeling that's the kind of thinking that they are looking at. We'll be right back after this message. Are you always worrying about compliance at your agency and just want it off your plate? Well, that's one of the things Good Lord's here to help you with. From sending the how to rent guide and attaching property certificates to taking the right deposit amounts and sending prescribed information, we'll help you take care of lettings compliance all in one place. Head to goodlord.co to check compliance off your to-do list. Good Lord, it's just that good. Um, in terms of, uh, we've got a double-down question from the previous point. Somebody hasn't left the name. They ask, um, I don't feel like the question has been answered about how to ensure our landlords don't feel in a person coming shafted. HMOs is a tiny part of why tenants um, shouldn't be uh, held liable. What quick answer can we give landlords to ensure they don't feel this is a bad thing for them? I would revert you back to the point that was made within, I think, one of the first couple of statements when this was announced around giving landlords more powers um, in the event of, of of things like arrears, for example, unfortunately, we're still dealing in hypotheticals. And when Sean and I sort of met to sort of discuss this this session today, it's it, it's pretty frustrating that we're not a huge amount of time, you know, a huge amount of detail forward, but we're a lot of time forward compared to our last conversation around this. So I think it's important to note that we're still waiting, as is the rest of the industry, on clarification. 
But I would be suggesting to landlords that the Renters Reform Bill, you know, we're hoping presents an opportunity to give you the ability to get your property back quicker than you could do at the moment, albeit the device in which you're able to get it back is going to change. Um, and, you know, I think that, that that's the only thing I think we can point towards at the moment, Sean, with any real consistency, um, without knowing the detail in which the bill is going to be delivered. No, no absolutely. And, uh, you know, feelings feelings are running high at the moment because of the uncertainty uh, and also what's happened in the past, because, you know, we, we, we know that the government uh, listens to people like Shelter and Generation Rent. And um, why wouldn't they when there are far more tenants out there uh, than there are landlords and uh, politicians like votes? So there, there has been an agenda where uh, the landlord has been seen, uh, A, as the, uh, uh, as the pariah, B, a cash cow, dare I say it, uh, uh, certainly when you look at the, uh, the, the tax regime now, it is not as attractive from a tax point of view to go into property as it was. Mm. What's compensated for that is, of course, we are looking at record high rents at the moment. We are looking at pro- property prices increasing. Demand is far outstripped. Uh, far outstrips the supply so at the moment i would say a lot of landlords are enjoying good returns on their investments i know costs are going up and i know the uh the, the, what the government is proposing on things say things like uh energy uh, efficiency is going to put a lot of burden on uh, landlords in the future but it's still a very attractive industry to go come into if you look at our annual report last year uh we we grew we grew our membership of, of letting agents coming into the sector yeah uh, overall if you look at the deposit schemes more landlords are coming are coming into into the sector some of these are different to the old uh the old school landlords younger uh different ideas different models to actually uh to, uh, uh, to operate so it's a, it's a constantly adapting and evolving uh, industry and and that for me is exactly where agents, why agents exist, and where they sit in the middle of the of these challenges. And if you're letting agent at the moment, you do feel brunt of this. So I understand the tonal, uh, tonal, the tone of the, the questions in terms of feeling frustrated, landlords feeling like they're they're up against it. Um, but I think you know the opportunity that these changes present, hopefully. Um, uh, shines a light on the value that letting agents bring. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, in letting agencies. And, you know, you, you can argue I have a commercial interest because we work for good long we work letting agencies. You know, it really isn't that that simple um, because actually this is a convoluted process and this, con- this process is only going to get more convoluted. And that's where property professionals are desperately needed. And, you know, we've talked about this stat before, but, you know, one of the reports, I think it was you guys actually at Hamilton Fraser, around 65 or 60 percent, 65, I think it was, percent of, of landlords don't use a letting agency service. The focus, you know, I think should be on how do we educate those 65 percent, because ultimately you don't want to be doing this on your own. And this is, unless this is your full time job and you've got you know, a massive property that is fulfilling an income that you can live off. These processes are going to be tricky and they're going to they're going to bring with them, you know, penalties that landlords simply will not want to risk. And that's exactly where letting agents can come in. So, you know, trying to turn this challenge into a positive thing, I think, then centralizes around education. And of course, one of the things that, you know, we're good Lord are frustrated about. Yeah, uh, I found it. Tom Mundy came out only a few weeks ago and voiced this across the media, you know, we really need transparency on a lot of these moving points within the bill to be able to start to give some some clarity and build businesses up from an education point of view. But every challenge does have its opportunity, doesn't it? Now, that opportunity um, is somewhat being further challenged by Shelter and Friends. Uh, we've got it noted on the slide here. Um, we saw a, a, a pretty ridiculous uh, marketing campaign come out about three or four weeks ago, which I think, again, I mentioned on a previous webinar frustrated me really because i think it showed clearly how little shelter actually understand what agents do um and i'm not sure it's that clever to alienate the, the one body of professionals that have a uh that are a conduit between all the parties and ridicule them but this challenge is relatively serious isn't it because they they have clear intent on what they want how do you see this playing out over time from a shelter and, and, and similar organizations perspective you know who seems to be winning that battle as it were well, I, that's a very good question, Ollie. Uh, you know, when you, you know, uh, uh, look, 
we all love our statistics in this business, uh, and 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 there are a lot of statistics. Whether they actually all make sense is another matter, and that's one of the things that is quite frustrating when you see the way that Celtic manipulates some of the statistics. Mm. You know, effectively, we know we're coming out of a pandemic. We know we had a we had a, a moratorium and, a, and and an eviction ban. We know that a lot of tenants uh, that were not paying rent uh, were allowed to stay in their properties the courts are now catching up of course you're going to see increases in court activity uh, uh in terms of evictions and possessions uh but that will that, that will stabilize out the reality is that most landlords kept their tenants in situ and protected them uh from the worst of the pandemic uh um uh effects mm. uh there was help and support from the government whether it was enough or not i don't know uh and we know that uh the the current pressures of a cost of living and a energy crisis are going to start to hit however i don't find it helpful that you you, you have this them and us uh um attitude most tenants want to rent and have a decent home and a, a place to call home. Most landlords want a nice, well-behaved tenant that pays their rent regularly. If you get that equation with a good um, letting agent to manage it, the golden, the golden triangle, as I call it, everybody is happy. Why, why is it seen you know, uh, uh, as uh, uh, an infliction renting on, 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 on tenants? Yes, of course, there are the vulnerable side of it there are people that are uh, uh, uh living in poor quality uh, accommodation that needs to be dealt with but most people have I mean, a good relationship nobody's disputing that and that of frustration yeah you know 99 percent of letting agents they want all of those things to line up why because their life is easier yeah, it's far easier. <laughs> the landlord wants that because they get their rent paid. They have to they have, they have to invest less, you know. It, and the tenant wants that because they stay in their property longer. And tenure is growing. And you know, I think we we're, we're fast approaching the necessity to have the conversation around the meaningfulness of the PRS w- within this country because it still feels like renting is secondary to home a homeowning. The governments have been very clear in their push to to want people to buy their own homes, but just wanting that. And actually delivering that are two really different things. And home building, you know, house building is not moving at the pace it needs to, which in my mind means that for the next decade, if not more, we're going to be in similar positions where actually tenant demand is ever growing. So, you know, the idea that we're leading off the lowest common denominator of less than 1%, um, you know, and I don't buy shelters figures on the amount of properties that are inhabitable. I think that I, I just don't know where they come from. That isn't my experience in, in over a decade in this industry. And I'm sure it's not yours or our agent's experience. But it's it, it, it's a strange one. And and we've had a question in asking what marketing campaign was. The marketing campaign essentially was a um, a well-produced, it must be said. It, it looked it looked like it cost a bit of money, that um, video, essentially ridiculing the role in which letting agents play and, 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 and suggesting that agents um, don't really care. And, you know, they don't really care about the properties. They don't really care about the tenants. You know, they're, they're just there to fling them in uh, without any kind of concern thereafter. And that, you know, clearly isn't true. I mean, it's worth keeping an eye, I think, on this. And, I, you know, my personal view is that all these groups work together. I'm not against what shelters stand for, per se. You know, we all want tenants to have the best possible living uh, conditions they can and, and, and a fair, fair process. I'm not sure their, their direction in drawing those battle lines has been, has been conducive to a, a conversation around, though. And I fear that those two sides, as you put it, have now been drawn, unfortunately, Sean. But um, Time will tell, I suppose. Um, I, I'm conscious of time. Um, we we also mentioned Roper here. We actually did, I think, two sessions uh, on Roper. Um, and we talked through then what was coming down the tracks because that looked like that train was well on its way. Um, we were hearing behind the scenes there was more and more work dedicated to Roper. It's gone quiet. Um, where are we from a Roper perspective and what, your, what, what, what do you think is going to happen? Okay, right. So... Absolutely. We, we, uh, you know, if when I first kind of like saw the agenda that was coming out there, I kind of in my mind, uh, uh, I thought, well, actually, if you regulate the property agents, that's your starting point, because then you have got, you know who they are. You have a set of criteria, code that you would uh, 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 measure them by. And 
you would expect them to have a certain amount of qualification or competence to actually do the job. So I always thought the roper would be a priority rather than an afterthought. It appears to be now a bit of an afterthought. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Okay, one of them is not least uh, the uh, Grenfell and the the uh, uh, the leasehold side of it. Majority of uh, 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 property managers are in that sector, not in the uh, private rented sector. Property management is a skill, a huge, uh, hugely uh, important skill for building maintenance and building safety. Now that applies across uh, both leasehold and the private rented sector. But it's a lot more complex after, uh, you know, the health and sa- uh, the fire safety stuff that we've actually had to deal with. And I think they're kind of parking that until they they can get a solution on how to deal with the property management of of of, of buildings per se, which is why I think they're now looking at decent homes and other stuff rather than at the uh, you know uh, the, the uh, regulation of property agents. Secondly, is that uh, um, I think that they also want to buy themselves some time on this so uh there's been two announcements i've heard one was at the uh, uh the uh the irpm uh conference where lord greenhall who is the uh the the lord spokesman said that they are still considering ropa and they mm. will respond to ropa and also eddie hughes uh said it in a in a, in a quest, parliamentary question that it's still on the agenda they're not just setting a timeline on it and I, I think your point around the sequence um, is is a really good one. I, 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 like you, would have thought that would be a good starting point to then bring everything aligned. The biggest question mark, for, I suppose, for me is is how we, how the how the government and, and the legislative points view landlords and agents, and making sure that that view is aligned. Because, you know, from a property professional's perspective, we should ideally want people to be served by professionals. And if it's easier to be a landlord on your own. And it's cheaper to be a landlord on your own rather than go through an agent because of the amount of things they have to do as an agent, then that became, that creates a real problem in my mind. So it'd be interesting to see how they, they layer her out and, and how what the knock-on effect to landlords is. But, you know, I, I think we've said before in previous sessions, you know, we felt Roper was something that could help the industry step up uh, and, and, and actually show that we have the experience and the education points that, that, that indeed the industry already does. So it'd be interesting to see how, how and when it's back on the agenda. But... My guess is from what you said there, we probably shouldn't hold a breath for too long. Like it's going to be a while yet because the focus is indeed going to be the, the bill itself um, as a priority. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're going to have to work out what they want to measure first before they start, sure. uh, you know, doing that. And, uh, uh, you know, surprisingly, after all, all these years, they don't know exactly what they want to measure. That's the that's the issue that we've got at the moment. And and you mentioned the decent homes um, uh, standard there. So if we can just go on to the next slide, please, Sarah. Um, so this is an important part of um, of the uh, proposed uh, changes. Um, talk us through um, what this means and what the knock on effect um, uh, from what we know at the moment is going to be for for letting agents and landlords. Right. So. Uh... There's actually a very good uh, uh, summary of what the decent home standards are on the on, on the Good Lord uh, News Agent website. So I recommend everybody goes to that and, uh, I and promise, has a look I through. promise no Good Lord <laughs> plugs, Sean. You, 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 you've gone ahead, but indeed, whilst yeah. you said it, I will, I, I will allow it, of course. Um, yeah, no, indeed, no, no. please, and just on that point, please utilise that information. It's not about being a Good Lord customer. You know, we, we try and put content out there that you can take, whether you're one of our customers or not. And, you know, I think, um, you know, we hope, anyway, that it helps have those conversations. But talk us through, for those who haven't read the Good Lord News Agent side, talk us through what this means. Okay, so effectively, what they want is some properties that comply with the legal minimum standards, which are kind of defined by the 29 hazards that are outlined in the health and uh, the housing, health and safety uh, rating uh, system, which they have been reviewing and trying to simplify or trying to make a, a, a lot more user friendly. Uh, it also is going to mean uh, uh, that uh, uh, that a tenant has the right to the property to be kept in good repair. Uh, the tenant has the right for the property to be relatively modern and with uh, uh, appropriate uh, facilities. Funnily enough, that now will include things like Wi-Fi and, uh, and and other things there that are becoming more and more uh, everyday life, not just uh, 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 the health and safety side of it. And, of course, uh, a commitment to a, a reasonable thermal uh, 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 well, 
a warm home, basically, a warm or, or temperature controlled home. So those are the sort of areas that, have, you know, so there's 29 uh, hazards uh, that the, the uh, an enforcement agency can currently uh, enforce on. If you get over a thousand, you're in big trouble uh, and orders can be uh, uh, done by local authorities to to uh, improvement orders and, and repair orders can be can be issued. But but that's a kind of framework. Uh, in my mind, uh, that's a good starting point. Uh, but we have a very diverse sector and it's going to be quite difficult in, in how you uh, you gauge a lot of these things there, especially for older properties and uh, properties of non-standard build and other stuff there. So a lot of work has got to go into that so that you are you are enshrining those issues, but you are not prohibiting huge amounts of the property from actually going onto the onto the market. When Scotland looked at the EPC levels and to, uh, and they wanted to go straight to a, a, a C, they discovered that it would take out sixty percent of their of the private rented uh, properties uh, because of the construction uh, of those buildings. So. That's where I, I, I see it's going. To me, I think it needs to be uh, uh, um, uh, tied in with the redress. So I think mm. uh, because who's going to inspect all these properties, who's going to enforce these, tenants should have the right to raise these issues and have somebody arbitrate or mediate on them prior to it to going to enforcement. Otherwise, you will just have the system clogged up. Uh, I think in terms of inspections, uh, the people who are best placed to do that, in my view, inventory clerks. Why not make man- uh, inventories mandatory? Why are why are inventories not mandatory? That's the question. I, I, I would I would agree, and I think the 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 challenge this presents for agents, uh, and and maybe agents are are being super picky at the moment as it is, but it, the challenge is that you are potentially going to be going out to properties that don't meet these standards. And actually, the first question, the first conversation having with the landlord is, this isn't up to scratch and you have to do this, this, and this to get in the market. That's going to feel like a, like a weird conversation, isn't it, in a market that normally is primed to say, yes, let me take your property. And, you know, because of this, we'll rate it, you know, we'll, we'll, the rental amount is this, it's slightly below market value. But, you know, I think we can find a tenant. You know, we're, we're going to, there's going to be more accountability, I imagine, um, um, unintentionally, maybe, through the decent home standards on letting agents, because, Simply, they're not going to want to hold stock on their property or indeed landlords who don't want to be accountable to these kind of things on their books, because that is going to cause them problems. And we we talked yesterday, Sean, about how this actually gets financed. So if if repairs needed to be made or changes have to be made to the property, who does that? And um, you talked through one of your fears being that there, there, sh- there could be some level of accountability on the agency themselves. Can you just talk through that point? Because that, I think, should be something that agents are switched on to and, 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 and potentially concerned about. Yeah, I mean, from from the from the get go, when I, I you know I started looking at this uh, uh, several years back, I was always going to say that the important thing was how you this was going to meld in with the uh, the agency side, which uh, you know is is although Roper's not here, is relatively uh, uh, controlled and, and regulated through uh, things like the property redress scheme and and mm. and, and, and other things there, uh, and and does have a a, a high level of uh, of competence and expertise, especially when those uh, agents have been through uh, a property mark or a UCALA or a, um, a safe agent type training. Uh, so we know that agents are going to be key to this. We know that a lot of people go into the property world for investments. They want to be hands-off. They want to be absent landlords or accidental landlords. So of course they rely on their agents. And of course the agent, if they are the, uh, uh, you know, uh, upfront and person that the tenant talks to, they're the, the ones that are going to be approached. And of course, if they're going to turn around and say, well, no, we don't have the power to do this because of X, Y, or Z, that's going to cause a big issue. So mm. I think it's going to be a, a, a big challenge how you tie redress for landlords and agents together, how you uh, uh, make sure that the tenant is protected, especially on things like uh, uh, the right to repair and the decent home standard, where an agent can only be responsible for the delivery of the service and not for the actual responsibilities. Who 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 pays for that? Will an agent have to go to their landlords and say, oh, well, under the Tenants Fees Act, we can't charge the tenants anything at this stage. We have taken a deposit. We can't touch that until the end of the tenancy. Uh, but ongoing, we need to ensure that the standards are met. Please, could you deposit X thousands of pounds into our account so that we can we can 
we can get the repairs done for you uh, without you worrying about it. It's going to be quite a lot of that kind of uh, uh, um, uh, thinking uh, because an agent is certainly not going to take the rap for for the landlord's responsibility. No. If, uh, you know, uh, even if they are delegated to deal with them uh, with their redress uh, requirements. And, and potentially sees a change in, 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 in contractual clauses as well in relationships between landlords and agents to that effect. So if, you know, if, if holding two, three thousand um, pounds, you know, in, a, in an account for the, that purpose isn't viable for the landlord, then, you know, the agent's going to want to make sure that contractually, if they're, if they're carrying out works um, or looking to undertake and assess any works that contractually they're, they're provided for through the terms of business they have with the landlord, because otherwise it could get quite messy, couldn't it? And, the worst case scenario there, I suppose, is a landlord saying, I'm not doing that work, I'm just simply not doing it. The agent then has to make a choice of what do they do, how, you know, how, how implicated are they in the process, if indeed this standard comes through to fruition in the way that we think it will. So um, one to watch for the future, definitely. The devil will be in the detail on this from an agent and landlord perspective, won't it? No, absolutely. And, you know, that's going to be hugely, that, that relationship is going to be hugely uh, uh, important to the success of this. Um, one question from uh, Vanessa here. Would you suggest using a, a checklist when viewing potential properties with potential landlords to safeguard the agent moving forwards? I see absolutely reason why you wouldn't do that. Um, and a good form of education as well. I think we've got to remember, this is, again is the role that letting agents play. Most landlords will be oblivious to these changes. Um, in fact, I wonder how many landlords are even aware of the Tenant Fee Act, which went ahead in June 2019. You know, uh, the role here is to educate and support. And it doesn't necessarily mean they like what they're going to hear, but indeed it does mean they're aware and they can make informed choices because, you know, this isn't something to be played out. And as I said earlier, landlords are, still, are soon going to feel the brunt of this if the legislation comes through in the manner it could. They're going to be as accountable as anybody else, if not more so. So, you know, I think certainly going around a property with a checklist in that manner, taking landlords through the potential changes. And to that point, your existing clientele, um, you know, warming them up through these changes. You know, when we get more detail coming down the tracks, you know, messaging and communicating with your existing base of landlords. So this doesn't feel like a clean, a clean shock, because, again, we're hoping there are more powers involved in this that help landlords. But they're going to want to get educated on this. And um, we can certainly support with content should you want anything from, from Good Lord. Again, visit our news agent site, as Sean pointed out earlier. Um, one of the things that's been missing off the list, a bit like Arsenal in the Champions League, um, Sean, um, is um, life, lifetime deposits. Um, this, this was actually, as per our understanding, a year or two ago, Front and centre, this was going to be an important part of the rent Reform Bill. Um, we're aware the government had utilised PwC to go and look at third parties. To your point earlier, they don't want to manage this thing themselves. They want to find third-party avenues um, that, that, that can support this. But this does seem to have gone extremely quiet. Um, again, a bit like the Arsenal fans at the Emirates, Sean. I'll double down on the joke. Um, um, I'm feeling potentially <laughs> very, very happy after the weekend's football. Um but it's gone quiet, hasn't it? And should we expect to hear any news about within regarding this over the next few months? Or do you think this is something that's been put on the curb because it's just too tricky to solve? I, I think I think it's partly the latter. I think that it's a work in progress. I don't think they've hundred percent abandoned that and reform of the deposit process. Uh, but of course, they've they've now seen the the reality they've talked to the insurers they've talked to the deposit schemes they've talked to uh, uh to 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 uh, uh to the people that actually know how this all works mm. and it, it you know it's not as simple uh, as they think it is so what i envisage is that work will continue to go on with that i very much want to see uh um tenancy uh redress uh for all tenants so the no deposit schemes and the uh, and the uh uh, the deposit schemes and all the other things that are out there, uh, the tenants should still have access to a redress at the end of that process, which I think landlord redress will be able to accommodate. I think that uh, certainly the, uh, the uh, you know, there will be innovations from various people on putting solutions that are partially or uh, um, uh, a solution to this, because we are looking at possibly loans. We are looking at possibly insurance on this. And these are not simple things to do. And whether you can get a universal process that protects everybody uh, uh, the same is, is the big challenge. Mm. And if you would say, well, actually, some of the schemes you know, or ideas are applicable only to the people that 
don't need them in the first place necessarily. How do you, you know? How do you how do you protect the more vulnerable pe- uh, per, uh, tenant who may be struggling to find uh, a temporary two deposit situation or uh, 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 you know or, or, or needs a bit more help and support when they would be low down in an insurance or a loan scenario type product. And indeed, it's, it's convincing landlords as well. You know, that's what we've seen in, in this side of the sector over the last sort of four or five years. It's, it's all right having some kind of other option. But if landlords aren't on board with it or they don't understand it, um, you know, ultimately they, they're reverting to type. And, you know, you've got a big question around what happens with existing deposits versus the new deposit process. If the new deposit process, how that work if you're moving up, you know, significant rent increase, for example, from one property to another, but you've got damages in the previous property areas. You know, the, the amount of permutations here were, were frankly clear from the start. This is a tricky thing to master. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. And and to that point, the white paper, you think, you well, you hope, given what they'd said, you're holding them accountable here. You said June the 21st. Just talk us through why you said June the 21st, Sean. Well, I spoke to, I, well, I got a briefing uh, after the, the Queen's speech. Uh, the, the, very good. The civil servants got a list of people they ring around and, and they said, look, it's not going to come out in May, they said. Then. I said, well, you did promise spring. And they said, well, yeah, we've got until the 21st of June. That's when spring officially ends. So, I mean, that's the next deadline. I mean, uh, look, the likelihood is, uh, 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 and this is tongue-in-cheek, it's probably going to be announced the, uh, on the Friday at five o'clock, just before we all, <laughs> no, no, Thursday, isn't it? Before we go into the Queen's birthday weekend, isn't it? It's yeah. Thursday now, isn't it? So, watch out on that i'll be i'll be watching on tenterhooks to see if that just drops on my uh, on my uh, in my inbox just literally before we're all off on to to celebrate his birthday yeah joking aside june 21st is not far away and you know for those of of you who have have watched today and listened to sort of ramble through this there's a reason why we're kind of rambling in some respects because it's etal light and we're trying to make sense of the tidbits we've been given. They've got a lot of work to do between now and June the 21st if all these points, and there's much more including the rent reform bill than just we've noted here, if all these points are going to be covered to a, to a point that actually gives certainty, haven't they? So, you know, it, it, I, I, I question how how clear we're going to feel at following the bill, uh, the paper, sorry. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I've got this wrong. Uh, I hope I have, but well, it was a long look- way. I mean, the reality is, you know, a, a white paper itself is not a, a, a finished article. It's not a, a, an oven-ready bill. Sure. It is basically an outline of what they intend to include in this bill. And there will be a consultation process following that. Another consultation process, I know. But this means that, it, you know, that when, when it goes into the formal uh, um, adoption of the, uh, of the bill through Parliament, which you know there would be less contention that's what they're hoping it could there could be more contention of course but uh, we, this is going to be a a, a a slowish kind of process now that even if it starts on the 21st of june we are still n- not looking at legislation by the end of the year i would say certain things may be able to be put into place but but have a look at the uh, you know the, 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 the what's been going on with the fire safety bill. Uh, they haven't even got a final published version of that out yet, yeah. and and they're going to rely on what's called statutory instruments. Uh, and the last time uh, I heard, it was going to be over 125 statutory instruments just to implement what's in that bill. This bill is not going to be as complex, but it but it will certainly need an awful lot of work. I I expect a lot of delegated powers to be included so i don't know if you remember the story on client money protection after all the years of lobbying for that we eventually got uh, an, uh, an amendment into uh, into in, into law which empowered the uh, secretary of state to at a further date implement this in terms of uh, you know that where i think regulation will probably go and uh, uh, the roper will go and also the lifetime deposits they will be put uh, in so that the ministers empowered to look at it in a future yeah. day but you have to remember that uh, in 2009 when they brought out the estate agency act they they put a provision in for regulation of estate agents which has still not been looked at so so, so, we, so, with, so with that in mind then sorry, sorry i'm conscious we've got a minute or two left tops um that 
that takes our timeline what into 20 in, that, in answer to karen's for the question there in the chat around you know when we think this gets delivered do you think we're looking 2024 um it, unknown at the moment kind of we will have to wait to the paper then to make a form i don't recognize there is a there's a, st- a clear timeline on this of when when the, the, this will be delivered yeah. um in, in, in totality it's going to it's going to be a mixture. I think I think the reality is that the government has to have been shown to deliver something before an election. Before the election, yeah. So, uh, and that's why I think Section Twenty One will uh, well will all but name go, uh, even if that is uh, as simple as amending the uh, the current forms to include a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so that will. I definitely think will be delivered before the election uh, and, and possibly the register. Uh, and they will need to tender out re- uh, uh, the redress or, 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 or set that up because uh, uh, that's not going to be a quick process. All of these things, if they're going to go out into uh, to tender, has to go through their commercial department. And that is regulated by a whole host of uh, regulations in terms of how government can procure services. So there's no quick fix for that. So it's not a matter of just coming and saying, oh, fancy doing that next week and setting that up. So that's going to take some while. So you're right. A lot of it will 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 probably have to go into the next manifesto uh, uh, pledge for 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 the uh, for the, uh, for, the uh, for, for after the next election. So, mm. uh, I, yeah, but definitely I think they, they, they will be looking to deliver Section 21 um, okay. uh, uh, before the before the election that's that's my bet yeah no i i would agree um and again it's that point of saying look we've, we've did something um you know it, it, we, we followed through on what we said we we're going to do um we've got a few few questions to cover which I'll, I'll try and do um as quickly as we can so um we've got one from uh where is Russell here. Russell, um, hi. What happens if a tenant refuses to renew a tenancy and landlord does not want contracts gone periodic and risk property coming available at a quieter time of year, i.e. December? So essentially, question here, tenant, I'm just trying to make sure I've got that right. The tenant refuses to renew the tenancy. Now, I imagine the, wait, I suppose it depends on the tenancy itself, doesn't it, Sean? Because if the, tenancy, yeah. the original agreement allows for it to go on periodic, which it normally would, then ultimately the landlord can't enforce a renewal of contract as part of that. They can, though, then at this moment in time, take the view of a Section 21 to get the property back, I'd imagine. Yeah, no, that's absolutely how it stands at the moment. So, yes, you could put in uh, you could put, put in contractual clauses for notice periods and, and, and give the, uh, the landlord an, uh, an intent of what you need to do after, after that. Uh, but, of course, if it gets to the end of the fixed term, they roll into statutory periodic. And yeah. there's nothing you can really do about that no. other than, uh, uh, you, you know, communicate with the tenant and and and, make, and, 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 and put your, your points of what you actually want to do. And ultimately, you know, uh, at the moment, you could take the section 21. So it's something that they will have to consider. Now, what would you do if you have a, a tenant that you, uh, uh, you know, that doesn't want to, uh, to commit to a, a fixed term? Mm. So, uh, and that's uh, yeah, there's a knock on question there. There's a knock on question there from that to Ben. It says, so, so will new tenancy agreements do away with periodic tenancies when Section 21 is gone? I don't think that's the suggestion at all, actually, um, uh, from, from what I've seen. Although the device in which you can manage the situation that we've just described of clearly changes the moment Section 21 isn't applicable. No, absolutely. And, and the government's, you know, and, and again, I don't think this has gone uh, entirely away. They are also committed to longer tenancies. They yeah. want to see a standard longer tenancy uh, in place. Uh, and how then uh, the rolling tenancy will will, uh, uh, will pan out in that. There are, there are attractions to both sides for a rolling tenancy. There are disadvantages for both sides of the rolling tenancy. So mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, we will see. Again, if you're getting rid of section 21, are you really kind of like having to, like what they're doing in Wales, look at the whole of the, uh, the, the you know, the, uh, the tenancy? They've done it in Wales and Scotland. Yeah. Do we go that far or, you know, do you just amend or, or, or tinker with what you've already got? And, and a question from David. Um, I'm a landlord. An experienced solicitor advised me the best way to deal with a toxic tenant is to dump them out of the property and let them chase me through the courts. Uh, thoughts um I, i'm pretty confident in saying absolutely do not do that um it, <laughs> you clearly can't can't condone um sort of bypassing uh, any kind of law or regulation or legislation um 
I'm sure, Sean, you mirror the thoughts on that. You can't see just tenants out on the street. I always worry, sorry to the question there. I always worry when I, I have spoken to an experienced lawyer and you hear something like that. Uh, you do have to kind of worry about that. Mm. What I would say is that if you have a situation, mediation and uh, uh, early intervention can actually be very, very effective for this. In, indeed. We, we yeah. utilise that as part of our own protection uh, insurance product. And it, it's been really effective in, in, in educating tenants, especially to understand, you know, one, there could be other, other means in, in which to, to, to get out of the situation they're in, but two, to understand the situation they are in. I don't think most tenants understand that by not paying their rent, it could have serious implications moving on for the next six odd years. Um, especially if a money order is obtained at the end of that yeah. and it goes in their, their credit files. So, um, no, I mean, communication, I think, is always the number one priority. Please do not follow that person's advice in terms of essentially dumping them out of the property and not following the proper proper recourse. It, it, it will not end well invariably. Um, and, and final point, um, Eric uh, Walker has popped up again to say, should we not take comfort from the Scotland changes a few years ago, which uh, which West, Westminster seemed to mirror, and which, after the same concern, um, all turned out to be fine in the end? Uh, it's relatively optimistic for Eric. I, 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 it must be, it's only 11 o'clock, I suppose. We've got a few hours to go in the day yet. Um, I, I, I saw I saw a marvellous quote the other day, uh, and knowing Eric so well, it's part of his philosophy. He says, hope is optimism with a plan. So the question is now that we, yes, we can be hopeful because this does start to look more of a plan than it did mm. ever before. We are not there yet. And if we are to be optimistic, that plan needs to be uh, a blueprint which we can all buy into. But yes, I know we should be optimistic uh, uh, because it's a good industry at the moment. And 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 a lot of this will actually uh, uh, tidy up some of the anomalies that, has, uh, that, that have been out there in legislative uh, framework and mm. make it stronger for us. The government at least has listened to, to the people that actually know what they're talking about in this case. They need uh, they need to commit, be commended for that. However, politics being politics, populism being populism. We have to keep them, uh, you know, their noses to the grindstone to deliver this in an effective way. I, I think that's exactly it. And it's a great way to end, end today's webinar. I think, you know, understanding the detail as much as is available at the moment is what we're trying to do on this kind of call. And we'll continue to have these sessions as and when more information comes out to try and share that and, and, and sort of talk through the opinion piece as well. Because clearly from the top of the, the webinar, you know, all the way through, the tone is that this is a concern The landlords you know, uh, are, are concerned at the moment regarding other factors. Is this the straw that breaks the camel's back almost? Um, and, you know, I think that the, the takeaway is that no, I think there should be a view here that this is kind of levelling out some of the inconsistencies in a process that, let's all be honest, isn't perfect. I know change is difficult, but the process isn't perfect at the moment. Um, but I think like you finished with there, Sean, you know, our, our role collectively is to make sure that the, the powers that be are held accountable to deliver changes that make sense rather than based on something that maybe as a vote winner. Um, so with that, uh, with that end, um, thank you so much to, to the hundreds uh, of, of letting agents and participants that have joined today. Um, we very much appreciate your time. If you've got any further questions, if I've missed any questions, I do apologise. This session was designed to be 30 to 45 minutes. We've gone over an hour. Um, yeah. So um, lesson there to, to, to build a bit more time, Sean. Um, and indeed, um, if there's anything we can help with, either be it through, through Sean's, um, custody or indeed good capacity then we're both on hand to help um, and we hope to see you again on another webinar thank you very much sean thank you very much ollie cheers now bye-bye